0: Good morning. Yesterday, I decided I was done with my dryer. Um, as you can imagine, I have a lot of kids, and so that means we go through a lot of clothes. And for some reason, I woke up early yesterday morning, and God told me that I needed to do every dirty clothes, clothes in the house. Everything. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And Because it looked like someone just threw up clothes everywhere. And so... Um, laugh at my pain, go ahead, you can, it doesn't matter, um, because I'm going, okay, I've got to fix this, because our dryer was taking way too long to dry, and I decided that the the vent in the back, that was too much of it, so it was cramming together, and the flow wasn't very good, anybody been there before on that, and so for some reason, I decided to crawl behind the dryer, um, I may or may not have cracked part of the dryer, it doesn't matter, um, my wife's not in this service, I can say whatever I want, um, And so I went back there. I cut it in half so it wouldn't have so much extra room there. And then I recognized, as I'm telling my oldest son, okay, push the dryer back in, that I probably cut it about three inches too short. And so... I'm I'm behind the dryer, and here's the wall, and because it's on video, I'm not going to show you the exact posture I was in um, because they would use that against me. But my head is below my knees, and I'm twisted like this trying to screw the little clamp on the back to try to get the vent to connect to the dryer again, and I can't do it. And all of a sudden, I recognize that I had had my head below my heart for at least four or five minutes, and I I couldn't visualize anything anymore. And so then I'm like, Carson, pull the dryer out, pull the dryer I'm going to paint, I'm going to paint, I'm going to paint. And so I finally stand up, and, and then for some reason I go, okay, let me try one more time. <laughs> so I get my breath, and I hold my breath to begin with for some reason like I'm underwater. Um, so um, <laughs> I go back, and I couldn't do it. And that's what we do at Christmas. We try to cram way too much into one small spot. Anybody? I just heard somebody say, preach. (laughs) That just took me back to my good old days in the South. (sighs) For a moment, let's not cram so much in. (sighs) Because when you don't have enough space to breathe in Jesus you've missed not only Christmas, you've missed out on life. And so God, we invite you to speak to our hearts, to speak to our minds. Right now, we offer you our jobs, maybe even when we dread going back tomorrow. We offer you our families. We offer you the mounds of dirty clothes at our house. Because fact of the matter is we're blessed to have them to wash. God, we offer you all of who we are. It was in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, that the prophet Isaiah came and he said, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And so he's speaking these words. And there are other words that remind us that we need to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 is uh, Luke is primarily the book, the gospel that is gone, gone to in terms of this, the birth of Jesus Christ. And then after that it would be Matthew uh, most likely. But in Luke chapter 2 it tells us a decree goes out from Caesar Augustus that the, all the world should be registered. And so that was the first registration uh, with Quirinius, was, when he was governor of Syria, everybody went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went from Galilee to the towns, town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. And it keeps going, and we know the story. We're going to be reading that as we walk through these first several weeks, building up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But the thing is, with the birth of Jesus Christ in this story... Here's something that's really been convicting me is we're in this series right now. We're going to do a month-long series. It's called King because I'm wanting to go, why aren't we worshiping Jesus more? Why is that? I mean, is, are we really celebrating Jesus Christ? And my wife and I have been having all kinds of conversations about this. And how much attention and how much energy do we give to worldly traditions? And how much energy and money and resources do we give to human traditions? And, uh, or, or the traditions that would really exemplify who Jesus Christ is? And we're struggling with all of these different things. And how do we truly gain a proper perspective so that our hearts are prepared, our minds are prepared for Christ? What does that really look like? Should Christians celebrate differently from those who don't follow Christ at this time of the year? Now, we all know the answer to that. The answer is what? Yes. But here's the thing. We should be living our life differently than everybody else every single day. And so what has distracted us? Right. I even think about the way we decorate I enjoy that. It's one of those traditions I really enjoy going to cut down a Christmas tree um, and bringing that back in and scratching up the car and recognizing that the lights are all out from last year. So I have to, I think, by the way, that is the biggest scam there is. Our church is investing in Christmas tree lights. Um, I'm just kidding about that. But like, it's because every year they're out. And it's just like, you know, well, you can just find the one that's burned out. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. So you have to go buy new ones. I mean, it's just a blast to go and do all those things. Um, and it, it's fun, though, when finally you start seeing the kids put all the ornaments up um, and they break all the favorite ones that you have. Um, I've already hot glued at least seven of them this year. Um, and the reason I'm doing this whole, okay, it's great and it's not great, because I think that's what we've done to the birth of Jesus Christ. We've lost perspective. And we allow the wrong things to start to dominate. Right? On Christmas Eve, we, we read the Christmas story, and then we also read the night before Christmas. Say, well, wait a second, which one matters the most? and the culture our culture today has confused our understanding of not only god but it's confused our understanding of who jesus is right you got santa who comes down the chimney that has a nativity on top of the mantle we're confused It's like we don't really know what to do anymore. I, I remember I read, a, I read an article, and it talked about how somebody was overseas, and they're overseas, and, and I think it was in Japan, maybe something like that, but they saw Santa Claus holding a baby Jesus in a department store. Maybe you've read that before because it made some news. I'm like, we have so confused what Christmas is. In fact, I would say it's not even about just Christmas, it's about life in general. And the reason why is because of the culture in which we live. And so my hope today is not that we pull down the Christmas trees. Like, that's not my hope. So hear me say that. My hope today is not to do away with gifts or anything like that. I just want us to see the importance of exalting Christ in our homes. And I want us to be able to evaluate, according to the word of God, whether or not we are actually exalting Jesus in our homes. If we're truly doing that. Why? Because I know that in exalting, in exalting Christ, what we do is we resist The leavening influence that culture can have today. Colossians 2.8 says this. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ." And one of the things I am recognizing recently is I think that sometimes, sometimes maybe we've been taken captive. It's when we always, as a church, we're always being encouraged to evaluate what we get worked up, overstressed about, what we have anxiety about, based on whether or not it's temporary or eternal. And we look at that and we go, okay, wait a second. Are we being held captive? Are we being taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy? Which depends upon human tradition. Where you feel more guilty if you don't do all these human traditions than you feel glorious if you actually just celebrate Jesus. Jesus. Well, I've got to do this because my kids expect this, or I've got to do this because this is what my family's always done, right? And I've got to make sure that I have honey-baked ham at Christmas. Everybody has honey-baked ham at Christmas, amen? Whatever. (laughs) I get to preach it while I go, and I got nothing. Crickets. That's what I got. So... Right, We get so held captive by making sure we do all these things, right? I've seen so many moms. I saw literally, I saw a mom run into a store once, and it was in the mire, and she's freaking out. She's like, I forgot. I've got to buy the pajamas for all the kids. We do it every year. And she's like, F- she's really stressed out. And I'm just thinking to myself, does she get this stressed out of making sure that she's worshiping Jesus? I didn't say it's wrong to buy pajamas for your kids. This is why we don't hear it, though. Why? Because we naturally bend always. We will always naturally bend toward comfort rather than growth. And so anything that challenges the status quo pushes on us. But let me tell you now, the birth of Jesus Christ, it challenged the status quo. And so this, is this culture that we live in, it started, um, it started 400 years before the time of Jesus Christ. You ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great all of a sudden comes into the picture. He only ruled for about 13 years. Um, but what he did was dramatic in terms of influencing the culture in which we live. We still have that impact today. I'm going to give you some history here to help us understand really the the value of it and the impact that it's had. It was 336 B.C. Alexander the Great became the leader of the Greek kingdom of Macedonia. In fact, there's a map that I want to show you. You can understand and and be able to see some of it here. And it it extended all the way over India. So it was this massive empire that he built 350-ish years before Jesus Christ. So that's what, and you can leave it up there for a moment but as long as you guys can still listen to me at the same time, right? Because I'd get distracted. Um, so here's Alexander the Great. And in just those 13 years, he had such impact and he built this empire that stretches this enormous territory. And it changed the world because what it did is it began to spread Greek ideas and culture. And it's still referred to as the Hellenistic period the Hellenistic culture, and it lasted well beyond his death. In fact, even after his death, it got worse because what happened was several of his generals ended up dividing this territory amongst themselves And so they began to rule over these territories, and instead of ruling in somewhat of a democratic manner, they began to rule where they wanted to make sure that they had as many riches, as as much gold as possible. And the world began to change where it became less about making sure everybody was provided for, and it became more and more about how much can one or two people gain for themselves. And it continued on that path more and more. And in fact, even in that whole region, the the most common language became Greek. Greek, the, the language then, was what English is today to the world. Or what 250 years ago probably French was to the world. And so it had enormous impact. It's an impact that we still feel today. And as I said before, some of his generals ended up splitting up his land because he only ruled for for 13 years, and then he died. And as a result of that, it began to keep having more and more impact. Why? Because these kings, they they had a cosmopolitan view of the world. And they were interested in amassing as much as they could for themselves. And people began to feel alienated. Now that's the irony. When you fight for self, you always feel more alienated than when you fight for God or even fight for others. Why? Because you are forcing your attention to go to you. You will end up feeling more alienated. That's why sometimes the people who are pursuing uh, things for themselves so hard, uh, they're lonely and they don't feel like they have anybody in their life. Well, they're They're alienating themselves from everyone else by striving so hard to gain for self rather than to gain for God or to gain for the kingdom. It continued down this path, and um, this mental shift, this cultural shift, started to impact everything that was happening, everything that we were doing. It, It even went to art and to theater and to sculptures and everything else, right, the impact it extended into the writing of plays and poems and the greek language in fact that's when this is when the theaters started to be built during this time period and plays and writings began to be focused on the individual rather than the community rather than god this is when it all began to happen one thing after another In fact, it it went beyond that even, where at the same time, people started to make up different religions, very mysterious religions. And they began to worship so many different gods. Polytheism just was rampant. Monotheism is the belief in one God. Polytheism is the belief in many gods. And so that's why all these different temples started to come up. Because they believed they would just call out different ideas of what they wanted and so they'd make up a god where if you wanted riches there was a god of riches and you would be able to worship that god and it just kept going over and over and over you had gods who promised immortality and so they built a temple to a goddess who could promise immortality and so they would have that temple right there for them and they would make a token and expecting god to give them something because they wanted to improve self rather than to worship God that's the thing that we've got to recognize they had the idea this is when it started to really soak into the culture and it's the same culture that we live in today that's the irony of it is their view of God was how can God benefit me rather than is God real and worthy of worship that's what was happening in the culture And so it was impacted by theaters, it was impacted by the temples and all the different gods that they had. They wanted to know how can that God benefit me rather than is he God and worthy of worship? Even at Christmas, that's one of the struggles that we have. How does Christmas benefit me? If we removed all gifts that we gave to other people. At Christmas. I personally believe. That the number of people. Who celebrate Christmas would plummet. Why because we would no longer. Receive any benefit from it. And that's what was being ingrained. In the culture. This. Even the Jewish culture and the society in which they were in, it, it had this intense impact, right? Even Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, which is what we know as the Septuagint. That's the impact that it had on culture. You, hopefully you've all heard the Septuagint. Um, and so you look at the translation of scriptures into Greek and you go, wow, what an impact that this culture had, and it still impacts us today. It's Hellenism. It, Hellenism is a worldview that says, I am God. That's what it is. Life is about me. And they kept running after this. Galatians 4.3, it says, So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. And often, what we don't even know, we don't even recognize, is that we're slaves in this world. We're held captive by making sure that we achieve what the culture expects of us. Here's what human traditions center on three basic things. Here's what human traditions center upon our happiness, our benefit, and our comfort. That's what we want. Right? That's why I love Paul so much is because we want health, we want safety, we want comfort, right? We want these things so desperately. And Paul came onto the scene, and very, uh, very quickly he helped us to understand that being a believer in Jesus Christ isn't necessarily about any of those things. <laughs> why? Because all of those things are temporary. Godly tradition focuses on a connection with God and a connection with God's people. And so we ask ourselves, even now at Christmas, as we walk up to December 25th, as we walk up to December 25th, which are we striving for? All of this influences how we see Jesus. All of this impacts the way we interpret who Jesus is. Do we look at it and go, how can he benefit me? Or do we say, is he God and is he worthy of worship? You see, this is something we've got to be reminded of, is that we dilute our view. And I was, it's funny because this hit me so hard the other night. I was having dinner with some friends. And I was like, man, this is what our culture does. Is the culture that we live in today has diluted our view, the potency of who Jesus is. It's diluted it. We dilute our view and understanding of Jesus when we see him through the lens of culture. I remember when my oldest son, Carson, we used to always, he loves apple juice. But what he didn't understand is we would buy apple juice, and we wouldn't even put half water in there. We'd put like three-quarter water in there. Hello, money saver. Right? It lowered the sugar, and it saved me a bunch of money. He's like five years old, and what we recognize is he had never had probably just normal strength apple juice, and we gave him some. And he just started to laugh. He took some apple juice, just <laughs> chugged it. He's like, That's good. Well, that's what we've done with Jesus. When we see Jesus through the lens of culture, rather than looking at culture through the lens of who Jesus is, we dilute his potency. We we dilute his power. We dilute his hope and his grace and his mercy and everything else. And as a result, we're not fully seeing the greatness of who Christ is. That's why I think today's message for us is so vital. We dilute our view and understanding of Jesus when we see him through the lens of culture. And our culture says it's all about us. Believing in Jesus, how does it benefit me? I will tell you now, I am grateful that I have eternity with Jesus Christ. But I am passionate about him because of who I believe he is even today Because I know that he's worthy of worship and he's worthy of all of my energy. And he's worthy of all of my words. He's worthy of all of my resources. He's worthy of everything that I have because it's all his to begin with. Because he truly is king. And that's such a different mentality than many people have. And so my prayer is that we will cease to dilute our view and understanding of Jesus. That we will cease to dilute his passion and his sacrifice and his life and his forgiveness and even the significance of his birth. Right? You've had many of you children of your own and you think about when you have that first child and you're just, you're antsy. I remember Melissa was in Panera Bread wanting a bagel and she's having contractions every three minutes. I'm like, baby, we got to get to the hospital. She goes, I want a bagel. I go, no, we got to go to the hospital. And she just gave me that look. I said, as many as you want. And I just, I literally, I grabbed, like I said, give me a dozen bagels, anything you got. No, no, what kind of, would you like grain, and would you like it sliced and toasted? Just put them in a bag. I grabbed a bag of bagels and we took off and you have this anxiety and you have this, this angst about what was to occur. Well, think about God. I'm going to give you my only son so that he, and I know that I'm giving him to you so that he can die for you. Don't dilute the power of God. And when we only see Jesus Christ through the lens of culture, that's what we end up doing. In fact, what I would say is, when we dilute the significance of Jesus, I think we ignore the waves of hope. That are ushered in in the coming of Jesus Christ. He truly is hope. And we go, why isn't he more hope for me? Well, because you don't give priority to him. The birth of Jesus Christ brings a tidal wave of love upon this world. So the question is have you made our culture your king? Or is Jesus truly your king? And what's the answer? Have you made culture your king or is Jesus truly your king? What view of Jesus do you have and how are you allowing it to be shaped and molded? And I, I'm, I tell you the stories about my family because I'm just trying to help you understand. I mean, we all, I, think, I struggle with this. I go, how, many, how much energy and how many resources am I pouring in to worldly traditions? And what's that balance? And maybe you can learn even with our struggles. And I, my, my kids and I were talking about it. They're like, yeah, but we go down and we feed the homeless and, and we help do some of that stuff. I go, yeah, so that's for two or three hours. But for the other 25 days leading up to Christmas, it's all about us. The proportions are wrong here. And so what does that look like? How can we change so that our king is no longer the culture in which we live and the culture will always say run after you, run after you. But how can we truly have Jesus as our king even as a baby? Even as a baby. And so um, I started writing down from scripture different things that we can do to help shift our mindset. And so I want to share, there's nine things here. And I wrote them, I was like, nine, nobody shares nine things. Um, I don't care, it's what, I, it's what God put on my heart. So I want to give these to you, and I'm hoping that just two or three will resonate with, with everybody in here, that you can hold on to at least two or three of these things. So be ready to write these things down. And as you do so, if those things stand out to you, hopefully you can start implementing some of these things. So one, you have to evaluate time and energy. Evaluate the time and energy. I think about the wise men. And I think about their journey of traveling nearly a thousand miles is what we're looking at. To make sure that they could go and see this baby named Jesus Christ. I think about the energy and the time that they spent going toward Jesus. What energy and time are you really spending and making sure that Jesus is your king rather than culture? So evaluate time and energy. Another thing that you can do is you can fill your home with prayer. Ask Jesus to dwell in your home in every moment, in every part of your life. We need him. Psalm 145, 18. Psalm 145, 18 says this. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Number three, fill your home with his word. The Bible says that God's word is a lamp to our feet, right? That's Psalm 119, 105. And so we want to fill our home with his word. We want to fill our home with his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I love this passage. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. So fill your home with grace. Another one is Look for ways to turn conversations to the spiritual. Challenge yourself. Challenge your spouse. Challenge your friend on how you can turn every conversation to spiritual speech. To spiritual conversation. Because then you find yourself, if you're speaking a tremendous amount and it has nothing to do with God... You're speaking, communicating to your heart what really matters. I would tell you that uh, another thing that you need to be able to do is you need to monitor what goes into your heart. Monitor what goes into your heart. Number seven, love his church with his passion. Love his church with his passion. I will tell you number eight is to grow in true understanding of godly love. Our family devotion time yesterday, grow in true understanding of godly love. Our our devotion time was reading 1 Corinthians 13. Right? We began with verse 4. And I told him, I said, "It's, it's a passage. A lot of people read it when it comes to marriage because of what love is. But really when Jesus Christ came into the world as our king, he was ushering in all of these things. And so then throughout the day, whenever my kids would do something to one another, I would say, hey, love is what? And they're like, kind. I'm like, yes, just like that. But we strive to understand godly love. Ninth thing, final thing. Don't rationalize or defend wrongdoing. That's scripture. That's even 1 Corinthians 13. All these are scripture, by the way. This isn't, I'm, I'm not smart enough to make these things up. So this is all the word of God, and it says, right, we, we've got to make sure that we stop rationalizing our wrongdoing. We live in a society that excels at making you feel good for how you've messed up. And when you excel at making people feel good for how they've messed up, you have no need for repentance. You, ha- you don't even have a need to, to understand that you have sin in your own life, which means you're ripping out the need for a savior. You're ripping out the need for a king. You're ripping out your need for Jesus. So don't rationalize or defend wrongdoing. So many times people come up and even my kids, I found myself, I used to do this, they would say, hey, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for such, and I would start off right away. Well, you just need to know, it's okay because, no, it's not okay, you just punched your sister. No, it's not okay, you know what, you were wrong. (laughs) Or you know what, I'm sorry that I, I went behind your back and spoke, you know, it's okay, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal, you just sinned. When you make nothing of sin, you give no reason for needing repentance. And so we must stop rationalizing or defending our own wrongdoing. You see, this is how the world, this is how the culture has impacted us so much. And what we are going to strive to do this December is to have such a high view of Jesus that it leaves room for nothing else. We're not going to ask ourselves, how does Jesus benefit me? We're going to ask ourselves, is he king and is he worthy of worship? And the answer to both of those is yes. In Luke chapter 2 verse 20. It says the following. It says, and the shepherds returned. This is after the shepherds, they come, they they discover who Jesus is. and, And here's their response. It says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They returned glorifying and praising God. See, Christmas, Jesus being your king, is about the mind-blowing love and mercy of God. And the response from the shepherds when they discovered that was one that was appropriate. It wasn't an interpretation of who Jesus was based on the culture. It was a response that was determined by who they found Jesus to be. Have you found Jesus to be king of kings? And if so, he is worthy of worship. So we start to imagine what it would be like to walk through the upcoming month evaluating everything we do and asking ourselves if it's worshiping Jesus as king or if it's worshiping our culture as king. See, until we start to shape those basic things, until we start to evaluate those things, then nothing will really change. I'm excited. I'm excited for a lot of reasons. I'm excited because right now, if you don't already know, even within our school system, there seems to be more and more resistance toward faith. Have you noticed that? It's in the news, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited because really what it is, it's an opportunity. I'm praying for our students right now that we'll have some that will raise up and they will be lifted up to lead in a way that they've never led before. The question is this, if, if they do that, it's going to be because Jesus is king rather than culture being king. They're going to care more about what they do for Christ rather than what the culture sees of them or expects of them or says of them. I'm excited because if they do that very thing, in a few years, we can see a school system that was, is running after Christ. I'm excited for that. I'm excited in a way to live in a culture that really is a dark, dark place. Because that means that as the light of Jesus Christ, we should be even more visible. The darker a room, the more visible a light is. And we live in a dark world, but the light of Jesus Christ can fill every single crevice of darkness. That's hope. That's mercy. That's that tidal wave of love that Jesus Christ ushered into the world. But you will never recognize how wonderful it really is until you ask yourself, who is your king? And is it really Jesus, or is it the culture that you live in? Is it really Jesus... Which Jesus have you even discovered? The praise teams they'll go ahead and come back out. I I remember, though, I want to finish with this one story. I had a mentor in seminary, um, Judson Jackson. He had been a pastor for 60 some odd years. Literally, he was in his early 90s. And he would just ask questions. It's probably where I took a lot of that. I just ask lots and lots of questions. And finally one day I said, okay, so you asked me so many questions. And I know Jesus asked a lot of questions. But I also know that you're not Jesus. So um, why is it? And he looked at me and he simply said, I'm trying to discover if the Jesus you have is worth worshiping. And he's a guy I listen to. He's a guy, I've told you a story once before, he literally had the indentions in the wood floor. He lived in the same house for 50 years, for over half a century, beside his bed. I was there, I saw it the day after he passed and went to be with God, had the indentions in the wood floor. Like he, when he said he was a man of prayer, he was a man of prayer. I'm trying, here's words, I'm trying to discover if your Jesus is worth worshiping, but you got to let that soak in a little bit. Well, he helps me out sometimes. Whenever things are stressful, I offer a prayer. Please, oh God. Is your Jesus worth worshiping? Mine is. Right, I'm making this personal, but mine is... My Jesus brought a tidal wave of love into this world. My Jesus is from the God of creation because he saw the brokenness and he saw the hurt and he saw the pain. And so he said, I will give you my son to usher in not only this wave of passion and love, but of grace, of hope, of forgiveness. My Jesus is worth worshiping. My Jesus is worth worshiping. When the cur- culture says to do this and to do this and to do this, Jesus is calling out and saying, Just serve me. My Jesus is worth serving. I am his slave, and I am not any more proud to say anything about that. I am a slave. Of Jesus Christ because He is worthy of worship. He is my King. He is my King. Let Him be yours. God, I come before you. And I pray that we chase after You more than we chase after anything else. And I pray that we spend more time and energy. Declaring who you are rather than declaring who we are. (laughs) Why? Because we know that we're broken and it's only in you that we are made whole. We know that we are sin yet you are grace. And so we call out to you. Because you are worthy. In Christ's name, amen.